Well, welcome again. Excited to have you with us today at Open Life. And what a week, huh? If, uh, one of those crazy weeks in our nation that really gets your, your mind thinking. And I hope you've, you've come ready to think a little more as we dive into our, our third week in this series called Through. And what an incredibly fitting series to be in when we're dialoguing about how can we help others through life. And specifically today, (laughs) uh, and this is before all this week happened, we're talking about walking through life with others when it's messy. And I think we've had a messy week in our our nation. And uh, so let's Let's uh, dive right in, shall we? Our, our verse for today is in Luke 18. And uh, for those who weren't here last week, we, we looked at the reality that it is, it's tough sometimes, and actually the most, the most tough way to get to Jesus is sometimes through those that are the strongest Christians around you. Or maybe I should say the most uh, flamboyant Christians or um, those that maybe would, they, they can sometimes become our biggest obstacle. I shared last week how oftentimes when I'm out in community among business leaders and, and I'm sharing who a good referral would be, someone that someone else should introduce open life to, would be somebody who would say they don't go to church because they know a Christian. And in fact, I said that again at a business networking meeting this week and had two different people approach me with tears in their eyes, resonating with that statement, sharing with me the unfortunate thing that had happened to them that very week. One person, after years absent from the church, reaching rock bottom, went to the church, uh, not this church, but went to a different church and uh, was told via email multiple times after Sunday why they didn't belong in the church from other Christians. Honestly, dead serious. Friends who were Christians thinking she would be a bad example and be an unclean example or unholy example, if you would, for others. Now, uh, she's an amazing person. I had a chance to do coffee with her. In fact, she's probably going to listen to this podcast, so that's why I'm not going into too much of your story if you're listening. Anyway, uh, that's, that's just intriguing, though, to sit down with somebody and say, no, God loves you. Here's you, version. Here's a podcast to listen to. I know you live too far away, but here's the deal. Grow online, you know, and, uh, but there are churches out there that will love you for who you are and not who you should have been like from birth. Anyway, it's kind of weird, but we're going to see this again. We're going to see the example of the believers kind of be in that first wall somebody has to go through, but I'm not going to talk about that today. You can listen to the podcast from last week. Here we go. Uh, A blind beggar receives his sight. Now, this is in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, uh, and it's, it's interesting. They each take a little different angle at it, and some actually name this person, but let, let's dive in. Uh, Luke eighteen thirty five. as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what is happening? 
They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. In the equivalent of today's language, they said, shut it. You know, they were just like, shut up. And, uh, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped, ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight, followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is a cool moment. This is a beautiful moment. Only Jesus and the disciples with him have stories like this, have the story to be told of being present in that moment. They were witnesses because they were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went, going in, going out, from town to town. They would see moments like this because they were just faithfully following Jesus. And uh, this story on the surface looks like it's about the healing power of Jesus. But as you study it more and break into different commentaries and stuff that's out there that you should do if you're ever talking to people about the Bible, and uh, you kind of look at its intent, it actually was a paradigm shift that Jesus was trying to help people catch. He was trying to say that, you know, my Father, me, Jesus, the Son of God, uh, I'm about grace. I'm trying to open this door for the hurting and the broken and the weak and the unclean and the impure that the religious people of our day would just cast outside our city. And he's trying to lay the foundation for that. And uh, this week, we saw modern-day examples and uh, uh, with the, the, the reality of the unpredictable. <laughs> and the only thing that is predictable is the unpredictable, right? And, but where there are amazing, horrific circumstances, there's usually amazing, heroic stories that emerge. And so I went and was reading some of them, probably spent way too much time watching live coverages and reading. And if you're anything, anybody like glued to live coverages or watching live tweets, I'm the only sick, boring person in the world. But anyway, so tracking this, the, the, the horrible things that happened in our nation this week. And, uh, but some heroes emerge. Let's look at uh, Matt Peterson, a hero uh, this week, 30 years old, an off-duty firefighter out of his precinct, uh, hanging out at the Boston Marathon, having lunch after some of his friends had made it through. He was in the service in the war in Afghanistan and uh, was in a nearby restaurant when the first bomb went off. And he said this, I knew it was bad when I heard it, he tells people. Anybody who served knows that feeling. I knew it wasn't right. It's a very specific sound. He jumped out of the restaurant after clearing everybody away from the windows and said his eyes were fixed on a child who was missing a leg on the other side of the street. And he jumped the barricades, ran over, and began to tend to that child, asked for the man, other man in the picture's belt, and they began to uh, help this child make it to medical safety. Hero. Hero. 
Hero number two that uh, I thought was interesting, it's an image of men who literally, and this is the video they initially showed when the, the first bomb went off, they showed men immediately like they were stunned and they looked around them and immediately you see athletes who've just run the race begin to peel their shirts off and know it's that they needed to tie out uh, tourniquets and just, it, it was instant response for people not trained to do such a thing. Heroes. The horrific became heroes. People running to the mess versus away. Check this guy, Char- Carlos and, and Melita Arandondo. Anyway, uh, all, they, all the, they, they were across the street in the stands watching firsthand in the VIP seating and uh, when the first bomb went off, he actually began to have flashbacks. His, uh, his, t- he had a 20-year-old son. He was there passing American flags out to people. And uh, he had twin boys. And when they grew up, one was killed in a sniper fire in Iraq in 2004. And because the brothers were so close, the twin brother committed suicide after that. And so he was there trying to love people and encourage people, and, and the first thing he saw, it says, my first reaction was to run toward the people, he said. There was so much commotion and a lot of people running away. I was one of the first to help people, and God protected me. It was horrific. In this, his face is all over, like, like any pictures you see, this, the guy with the cowboy hat, and uh, actually helped save the life of the one who identified uh, the bombers because he looked at them face to face when they dropped a backpack right at his knees. And then finally, an interesting heroic moment. People were locked inside their homes, and there was gunfire on their street, and they didn't know where one of the bombers was hiding at the time. And a family had kids, and they had run out of milk. And a police officer went and snagged milk and risked his life so that some kids would be able to eat. Now that's crazy heroic. The stories continue to unfold from this week, and, and the images fill us with amazement, amazement the, the explosion in Texas. One guy was actually... He crossed the finish at, at, at four hours. His wife was standing 10 yards away from the, the first bomb, and the gal next to her lost her legs, and she exited without a scratch. And he, he just the horrific scene he recalls, but then he went to his home in Texas and was driving by the fertilizer plant when the fertilizer plant exploded and tipped his car that he was in, but he was unhurt. The chances, they say, of that happening in somebody's life once being a part of any sort of explosion moment like that is like one in 400 million, but it happened to him twice within days. And he said, we consider ourselves undeservingly blessed. I mean, the stories are unreal. Life is not this hunky-dory, unmessy thing. And, uh, and so today, I, I want us to really just look at, man, what do we do? Like, what, what are our practices? What should our disciplines be when life is messy? 
Why do we not, uh, what would help us be the ones that would run towards the mess? What is holding us back from making an impact where it's needed most? I mean, one day you can be, be dreaming of running a marathon as an observer, cheering on the pack, and the next day you can not have legs. One day your friend's having a coffee with you, and the next day you can see him as a massive manhunt is taking place, seeking after him. We don't know. I mean, we live in a messy world. We all respect how, you know, a moment of big disaster like this is messy, but the reality is everyday stuff is messy in our world. I mean, life happens, right? Um, I, I just thought of some different illustrations this week of, of messiness. It's, it's messy when your kids come home from prom drunk. I hope that didn't happen this week at all. But anyway, uh, I hope uh, it's messy when your husband played a bit more money than was intended while he was playing in a Hold'em tournament. It's messy when you click on that link thinking no one will ever know that you visited that website. It's messy when your spouse calls it quits. It's messy when you stumble across drugs in your kids' possessions. It's messy when you lose your job, you lose your house. It's messy when you miscarry. It's messy when your families don't know they're loved by their father because the father's never present. It's messy when you build a friendship with someone who hates Christians because they know one. This is normal messiness, right? Normal messy. But I want us to look today at just a couple thoughts. One, how have we compounded the mess? Like, how do we make this mess worse? Um, and, and the first little fill-in of the thes there is we've been the pretenders. The pretenders. Verse 39 in our text again uh, said, Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. It's no news flash that life is messy, right? We've settled that today. But for generations, there's been an assumption that Christians have to present this life-is-perfect demeanor. And uh, you're like, man, how are you doing this week? Blessed, so blessed, happy. Didn't your, like, husband leave you? Oh, but God's with me. You know, and it's like, really? That's how it is, right? You know, and, and, and the question's been asked. Why, do, why does it seem like Christians have to always put on a facade that everything's perfect? Well, that's not taught anywhere in Scripture. So you don't have to put on a facade. Imperfect is normal. And uh, there are generations of people that are calling out like this blind man was, Son of David, have mercy on me. But all they see are pretenders passing by. 
People are, need grace. People need compassion. People are broken. People are hurting. But all they experience is shut up. Everything's blessed. And they can't get to Jesus. The pretenders have missed something more beautiful than they've ever imagined if they would just engage the mess. The power they were seeking in pretending, the power they were seeking in the first place, the power is in the gospel and the good news shared with the broken, with those in need, with those whose life is crumbling around them, serving those who need to be served. But when you serve others where they truly have need, it gets messy, and a lot of people don't want their life to have any bit of mess in it. If these pretenders, and excuse me for the horrendous illustration, but it's fresh on our minds. If these pretenders were the first on scene on Monday in the twin bombings there in Boston, they would have focused on those that were still standing. They would have focused on those still running. They would have focused on those with with uniforms and jerseys, the fit, the clean, and they would have made their way past those lying on the sidewalk closest to the explosions, carrying this illustration out to its full parallel, I guess you would say. They would have brought uh, silence or they would have rebuked those that were crying out on the ground. Shh, people are thirsty, they just finished the race. They're the real runners, they're healthy because they didn't want to get bloody or messy or wounded. They would have brought water back for the police, but they wouldn't have got messy by caring for the wounded, the pretenders. This is horrendous, but true. Luke 5, verse 27 says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet. He threw a sweet party, right? This is what this is. Had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, so the religious spirited people of the day, who belonged to the sect complaining, uh, or belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus answered them. So they're complaining behind Jesus' back, but he calls them out, right? He, He answers them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So let me take the liberty of translating this into today's messy world. Um, he might say something like, it is not the, the people who have a perfect life who need my presence the most. It's those whose lives are messed up. And I've called you all to become messy with me and engage the mission. I mean, this is just the reality of what Jesus is challenging us to do here. We need to allow our guard to drop and become Jesus to those around us whose life is in need. I'm sure Jesus would have taken off his cloak and began 
stopping the bleeding, he probably would have just said, you're all fine, Here's, you know, <laughs> and healed them because of his, his faith. But, you know, he would have been willing to halt his plans as he does in the passage here in Luke today. He would have stopped when others were rebuking. He would have paused, and he would have taken the time for the need. And I think in our world today, we've kind of gotten away from anything that interrupts because we're scheduled from edge to edge. We lack margin. He'd be there to listen. He would be there to comfort the distressed. Often the mess is not as obvious as a bombing in our world today. Uh, Sometimes a relationship has to form first before we'll ever be trusted and be let into the true mess of life that people are facing. And so how do we grow to the point of ultimately being those that people would trust with the mess. I mean, there's more ways, though. We've compounded the mess, so let me, let me just hit the, the biggest one, I think, uh, and that would be we've become the unheard. So, that's your other the there under point one, the unheard, or actually people have become the unheard. So going back to our text in Luke 18, verse 41, it said, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? And I've always thought this was an interesting question, and Jesus asked people all the time in Scripture. It's like, you're blind, and I'm coming saying, have mercy on me, I would assume, right? Like, maybe you want to see. Or somebody would be leprous, you know, in the day their skin is scaled and it's falling off, and they're like, Lord, heal me. And he's like, what would you like me to do for you? (laughs) Um, Is it obvious, you know? (laughs) Nobody was sarcastic with Jesus, though, in Scripture that we see. And they're like, duh, you know, that doesn't happen, which is good because sarcasm hurts. There's some seriousness in it. But I look at this and I go, okay, so this guy has been told to shut it from the disciples. He's, he's cried out louder and louder and louder for mercy from Jesus. But Jesus doesn't assume. He listens. He asks a question. He presents a question so that the person can truly voice the real need. Not only did Jesus ask, but he listened. And I think um, an error in our current day model of church is that we try to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus by just disseminating information. We think, oh man, if I can just gather as many people as I can in a room and disseminate information over and over and over again, I'll change the world. But the truth is, We need interaction. We need the power of relationship. It can't be all about the gathering alone. The church has made the main thing having people come and listen. When Jesus sets the example over and over and over in the text that we should be those that go out and listen. We should be the listeners. And when we come back on Sunday, we should have stories. We should be celebrating the lives that we've been able to impact by having a listening ear to the real need that their life is facing. People sharing what's really happening in their environment when trust is developed, where you literally are becoming the mercy and peace of Jesus to your neighbor on mission, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's a picture a beautiful one at that, of the church. You might not be ready to like 
you know, be the person who's starting maybe like a, a group. You know, we have groups here at Open Life, and, and we're just getting ready to relaunch back into them here in, in May and, and, and all that good stuff. Brian will mention that later. But, you know, there's, we need to be physically aware that, man, in our influence, in our neighborhood, where God has put us, in, in our city, wherever that is for you, you are the mercy and peace of Jesus there. We've got to do something to connect with those around us. We've got to serve them. We've got to begin to allow opportunities to share. And, uh, you know, it's, you only need three simple ingredients to really allow the mess to rise to the surface. And so I've tossed these here on, on our outline. Let's look at them for a second. Uh, the first ingredient is prayer. We should be praying for those we've yet to meet and know. We need to be praying for ourselves to be the ones willing to run towards the mess. Because I guarantee your first instinct will be to avoid it. It's just instinctive to not want to be messy. But what if we can be those who run towards the mess? What if we can be those who would set aside time daily and just pray for an opportunity to connect with someone new? Begin to pray for those we have connected with. Maybe, maybe we're wondering if there's, if there's a need in someone's life. We've just seen signs of it. Let's pray for them. Let's just take the time to actually stop. It, it's not like there's not like a big plan you have to go through, but just say, God, I just pray that you'd give them a better day. And all you have to do is go shopping, and you could find someone to add to that list right there, right? And uh, uh, just like, Lord, boy, they need to have a better day because they were a grumpy meister today, you know? And, uh, or maybe it's a coworker, someone at school. But to take up that need that you're potentially aware of, a name of someone, maybe you have multiple people around you, just begin to pray for them because it'll change your response when you're face-to-face with them. And the second ingredient you need to, to really open up the door to engage the mess in somebody's life, food. Right? I mean, how many of you, and, and this is where it's just funny, how, how many of you, you just have a more open dialogue when you're not going through like a planned regiment, you're just having a meal together. You're eating, and you begin to share life, don't you? You begin to just like, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to talk with my mouth full, but, you know, kind of crazy life. You know, and you, you start to talk about it, you know. I think uh, you just you, you deal with life. You share stories. Silence is awkward. So you begin to talk, don't you? And, and you find out all kinds of, of new things. We were having a meal of sort over at... Uh, uh, someone's house the other day and, and, and discovered that their niece had had this horrible thing happen to their eyes and couldn't be out in the light. And, uh, and, and we, be, we took up their cause in prayer. And as a family, like, like we're just like, Lord, heal that girl's eyes so that she can see the beauty you've created someday without like her eyes burning when she goes into the light. And uh, every night, my girls now, they're just like, Lord, I pray for that girl's eyes. 
prayer and food opens up like just, you just start talking. Prayer and food, pretty easy. So that's ultimately point three is conversation. So prayer, food, and conversation are going to allow any of us to begin to see what the real needs are around us. And some are not as extroverted as me. I am extremely extroverted, right? So maybe your deal is not going uh, to always be to have someone over and cook a big, huge meal for them or, or whatever. But we've got to find a way to, to, to have a reason and an environment to have conversation. We're going to try to stir that up in neighborhoods as Open Life by, by launching neighborhood-based groups uh, in this. We're, we're kind of turning our strategy of groups a bit at Open Life, and, and if you have a ton of questions about it, you can ask James. Uh, but I, I, uh, some of you are like, uh, you're speaking as if I know James. James is in the back row back there with a cap always like sideways. He likes the Lakers even though Kobe's hurt. It's weird. But anyway, um, we're, we're uh, you know, he's, we're leading towards this thing of, well, what if we actually like did have that place that's just, there's no agenda. We're coming together to, to just, we've prayed before the meeting. Um, we're, we're, we're praying for the people who come in our, in our neighborhood or from the church, whatever. You know, we eat together and hang out and have conversation. You know, what, what would it look like? What would God do with that? And so uh, those are live online and stuff. We'll tell you more about it later. But we can turn this thing around and become those that would just say, it's okay to have open conversation. You know, you're, this pastor is messy. My life is messy. My life is not perfect. If you're looking for, like, someone you can put on a pedestal and follow because they're perfect, wrong guy. It's, it's not my world. Uh, I'm weird. I'm just <laughs> you're like, I am a creeper. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. Uh, but you, you do. You know, life is not this, this, this perfect hunky-dory thing that's just, like, exists out there. Uh, and my home. Whew, if you want to know how messy the huffs are, just come and sneak up to our house someday in the morning right before we go to the bus, you know, and it is like you would think we're casting out demons inside our house from our children, you know, so, and, and just tell me what day you're going to come over because I'll keep them up late the night before because it's like exponentially worse, and uh, it's just like wow, if you think, like, our kids are not the ones where we blow a whistle and they all come down, yes, Von Trump, you know, <laughs> they all line up, Father, are our lunches ready? Why, yes, they are. They are prepared right there in line for you. No, it's not. It's like, get your own lunch, you know. <laughs> what, are you allergic to the knife? You know, it's kind of just, it's interesting. So we need growth too. We're all growing. We're all in a different place on our jersey. My driving's messy, so I'm sorry to all of you I've offended, you know, if you're, when I'm driving in anywhere. So, okay, let's move on because I'm going to confess some things that you shouldn't know about me. Um, it's kind of true, though. <laughs> uh, I am, like I told Dana this week because she was embarrassed a couple times when I drove over the double barrier from the... the cruise lane that you're not supposed to drive over on 167 to make a ma uh, quick exit because one of my daughters is in the back of the car going, I have to go pee right now. I'm like, I can't hold it. I can't hold it. I'm like, okay, I, this white line's never ending. I'm, I'm going over both of them. You know? <laughs> and then I'm like cutting people off and I'm like speeding up and around. And, and 
and my wife's like, girls, who are you going to drive like? Your mother or your father? You know, it becomes a teaching moment. You, mom. Why? Daddy's driving scary. You know, so there's the reality. I don't think she has a ticket. I won't tell you how many I have. So second point today. What would be the results of walking through life when it's messy with others? And there's really only one blank under this that, uh, that I think would fit the desire of God. And I call it the amazed. The amazed. This is interesting because it's for both you and the person receiving from you when you engage their life when it's messy. You'll be amazed because there's something beyond incredible. It's, it's actually the, the, the best word I could come up with it when I was thinking of all the lives that I've had the opportunity to engage when it's just really messy. There's something out of that that is beautiful. Um, I could tell stories about a ton of people in this room and just at moments that we've been in your life when it's messy, but I think the one that stands out, I don't want to tell a story about me. I'll tell one in this moment about my wife. Uh, The kids were napping, and she saw an ambulance pull up across the street into our neighbor's driveway and rushed into the home where... Uh, our neighbor was in an unfortunate situation. She had found her husband with an, a knife and, and, and blood and, and uh, did instinctively what you shouldn't do, grabbed the knife, right, and uh, uh, tried to help her husband. And, and he lived. He, he, he is a stubborn old cookie. And, uh, and, but Dana was there in the home. She went into the mess. It wasn't long after that that our neighbors ended up at church here at Open Life. And when I think of it, when I think of somebody who's like most unlikely to walk into that circumstance, I'd probably list my wife. But when we become more like Jesus, we go into places we would never go. And I the heart that my wife carries for our neighbors is beautiful. And the relationship she has with our neighbors is unbelievable. And the moments that I've had to walk through life when somebody's across the table processing their faith, cussing at me mad, ticked at God, there's just something about that tension that is incredibly beautiful on the other side if we'll walk through that with them and not say, okay, this is messy. Let's kick you to the curb and find someone clean so that I'm not becoming impure and I could stay holy and radiant myself. That's not the faith. That's avoiding the faith. Matthew 15, 30 says, great crowds came to him, Jesus bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised God of Israel. 
I mean, Jesus was like, bring on the messy. Bring it on. I'm going to represent the genuine love of God here. And I'm going to let those who are messy come to me, right? Luke 8, 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat, set out. They sailed. He fell asleep. A squall came down the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went, woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the wind and the water and they obey him. What will it take for you to be real with others and just engage the mess. Loving others is messy if we're truly loving everyone without conditions. Loving others is messy. The challenge is our fear because who really wants to introduce that messiness to your world? It's getting past that. Trust me, the reward of being on the journey through the mess is greater than the regret of kicking someone to the curb when it gets messy. Or worse, only surrounding yourself with those who are the pretenders and keeping the repetition going. The tension of knowing somebody is in a position where they can't pay their rent, but you don't have the means to help them pay it, but you still stick through the mess with them. It's awkward because we we want to avoid it because we think we can't help. I truly hope that every single solitary one of you have filled out your connection card because we want to be good stewards of our resources, right? But on the back, you always have an opportunity to respond. And if the bottom three of the today my next step is, one says my next step is to just simply pray for others. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're like, I don't want to pretend anymore. Uh, I don't want people to consider themselves the unheard. And they're like, well, those Christians don't listen. No, let's be the listeners and let's make the things we hear our prayer lists. Let's begin to pray for others around us. Let's, Let's make space for the conversation. It's not easy when a church is small and we only have a few groups to like jump into one that fits our schedule or calendar or whatever. It, it takes time to figure that out. Well, you know, maybe you're supposed to lead one that does fit your schedule or is in your neighborhood. I don't know where you're at with that. But the reality is you need to make some space for the conversation. Invite someone over for dinner. Do something to begin to engage life outside of your own, your own self. And uh, connecting with others is the third application. I want you to check whichever one fits you while we sing this song that I think, you know, of, of all the songs we kind of had as an anthem for the last three years at Open Life, this one just fits the heart of this talk. And I want you to contemplate, what am I supposed to do with this? Maybe you have a prayer request. Maybe life has been messy for you and you have a prayer request. We do want you to write it on your connection card so we can pray with you. But here's what's unfortunate. If that's the only form of prayer you're going to get this week, think of the power. If that 
prayer request that's on paper, if you begin to develop a relationship with others and you can actually share that face to face, there's something powerful about just grabbing hands and saying, Lord, help this face to face in a group, one-on-one, either way. We want to take up your concerns and your needs. So God, I pray that you would help us comprehend really the next step from this talk. And we have one more week talking about injustice next week. But I pray that today, I know some of us in this room, our lives are incredibly messy and it's relieving to know, man, this, maybe I can get this out. Maybe we can begin to deal with this together. That might be the excitement in someone's spirit today, but others are just saying, okay, yeah, okay, I need to be willing to allow the mess to kind of come into my world and myself be love to others and let down the wall and the facade and allow my mess to be visible as well so we could do life with one another and not pretend life with one another. Speak to us, convict us right now as we sing this song in closing and then Brian comes and closes us. Speak to us. Help us know how we are to respond in Jesus' name.